how can we be sure that there is no judgment upon my life because of the cross? You see, this is one of the greatest news to go and tell people that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, there is no judgment for the believer. But yet, many believers don't believe it yet. Just like that woman who prophesied over those pastors, God's going to curse you. God's going to condemn you. But the Bible says the Son of Man did not come to judge, to condemn, but to save. And yet, the majority of the church is still stuck in this judgment mentality, guilt mentality. When they go through problems, when they go through sickness, when they go through difficulty, they think God is judging them. And if you are in the place where you believe God has judged me, can you have faith to overcome that? Impossible. If God has judged you, how can you have faith to overcome and receive healing? Amen. So we must go to the Bible to find evidence. Evidence. Because all doctrine must be based on scriptures. Let me show you a couple of scriptures quickly. Turn to Luke. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. The cross was not optional. It was necessary. And to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission. The word remission means forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So after his resurrection, Jesus says, Now go and preach that forgiveness of sins are available for all men. The church preaches like this. If you are good, God will forgive you. Right? If you are good, if you try hard, if you are holy, then God will not condemn you. Have you heard that? If you are holy, then God will not condemn you. But that doesn't sound right. How can you be holy by yourself? How can you justify yourself? They are saying that if you become good by your own works, if you become good by your performance, then only God will not condemn you. But that is not grace. That is not the gospel. The gospel is this. Forgiveness of sins is available for all men. Because of the cross. Can you say amen? So now go and look at Colossians. Because now Paul goes and preaches the gospel everywhere. And you see this in Ephesians. You see this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. In whom? In your own works? By your holiness? It's in Christ. We have, referring to believers, means we already have forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness there is a noun. Which means it's a gift. The moment you accept Jesus Christ, you get forgiveness as a gift. We have. 
not you're going to have. If you live a holy, perfect life, at the end of your life, just before you die and go to heaven, you're going to get forgiveness of sins. No. If you have, you have. How many of you have a nose? Huh? Did you have it? From the moment of birth? Yes. In the same way, the moment you got born again, you have. You have forgiveness of sins. You have it. And you don't lose it because you sinned. And you get it back after you confess your sins. No, you have it. It's a gift that's in Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. It is through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood. Through the blood of Jesus. So, how are we free from judgment? Simply this. God put our sins. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Come on, you got to read it together. Are you there? 1 Peter 2, 24. Let's read it together. 1, 2, 3. Who himself, Christ himself, not an angel, not a cherubim, himself. He took it upon himself. God himself bore our sins. Wherever the word R is there, put your name above it. Write your name right now. Right, write your name above R. Who himself bore Sean's sins? Who himself bore Selina's sins? Who himself bore? Whatever your name is, write on top of that. Your sins. Who himself bore your sins in his own body on the cross, the tree, that we, having died to sins, that means you are dead to sins, might live for righteousness. Question, where is your sin? On the cross. Yes. Is it in your life? Is it in your body? Or is it on the cross? On the cross. Where are your generational sins? Because there's this teaching going around generational curse, generational curse. Where are your generational sins? Is it on your father? Your grandfather? Your great-grandfather? Where? On the cross. See, you will not believe you are free from judgment unless you believe first you are forgiven of your sins. Because judgment comes because of sin. So we have to deal with the sin issue first. Alright? Let me give you quickly a few points. Number one, forgiveness of sins is a gift. Write it down. Forgiveness of sins is a gift. Forgiveness of sins is a gift. That means it is unconditional. It comes freely. We saw in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. Another verse is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Now, in the Lord's prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? Forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. So some people have taught, see, unless you forgive, God will not forgive you. Is that the truth of the gospel? Question. Jesus said it. What do you think? 
Huh? That means some of you will not go to heaven. Because you may not have forgiven some people. Does God forgive you only if you forgive? Is it the tit and tat gospel? Is it the give and take gospel? No, the gospel is free. It's the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's not a give and take. Then, then Jesus said it. Yeah, Jesus said it. It's a truth. But it is not a truth in the New Testament. It's a truth of the Old Testament. Even though Jesus, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is written that it is under the Gospels, Jesus was not in the New Testament. The New Testament did not come into force until he died. Look at first, uh, look at Galatians. Take from Galatians, look at Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, Jesus was born under the law. Come on, read it again. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was not born under the times of grace, the new covenant. Under the law. So Jesus said it. But it doesn't mean it's the truth of grace, of the gospel, the new covenant. Are you with me? It's under the law. Because under the law, your acceptance is based on your works. Under the law, it is based on your deserving. If you will do good, you will get good. If you keep all these commandments, you will be blessed. If you obey all of these laws, then the favor will come upon you. That's the law. But under grace is different. It is all based on the cross, the sacrifice, the redemption of Christ. What he did. Amen? So forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is not something you earn by your good works. By your forgiving of people. You're forgiven freely. Everyone say freely. Amen. You're forgiven freely by grace. So forgiveness is a gift. Number two, forgiveness of sins is complete. It is not half forgiveness. It is not past sins only. It is full and complete forgiveness, which is past, write it down, past, present, and future sins. I will explain later on, but today I don't have time to go into this. You can write Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10, you study that. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, you take those references down. Okay, forgiveness of sins is a gift. Forgiveness of sins is complete. Forgiveness of sins is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Three very simple points. I will teach more later on on this. So how many of you believe in Jesus? Can I see your hands? Question, are you forgiven of your sins? Amen. Now then we'll deal with judgment. Look at John chapter 9. If you are forgiven of your sins, then justice demands that you cannot be forgiven. You cannot be judged. John 9 verse 39. Let's read together. One, two, three. 
See, we look at this verse and we get confused. See, the Bible says Jesus came for judgment. But the word judgment here is a different word. It means to separate. It means to bring a decision. Okay? So, for judgment, that means I've come to this world so that the men of the world can make a decision. So that there can be a separation between those who believe in me and those who do not believe in me. To make the sightless see and to make those who see become blind. So, Jesus came in order to divide. That also is the meaning of the word judgment. Between believers and unbelievers. Those who are in truth and those who are not in truth. So, this is not referring to judging us of our sins. So we should not get confused and uneasy about our confidence. Okay? Now look at John chapter 12, verse 28. John 12, verse 28 to 32. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The word peoples, you notice that it is italicized, right? It means that it was not there in the original Greek manuscript. That is added by the translations. Okay. So the word peoples was not there. It means what? Jesus did not say peoples. It was added by the translators. Jesus did not use the word peoples. So let's read it again. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now, very important. Whenever we look at scripture, we must always look at the context. What is Jesus talking about here? So that we are not confused. Alright? Now, Jesus did not use the word peoples. So if we read verse 32, again, by removing the word peoples, we will see this. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Draw all to myself. All what? Look at verse 31. Because that is what he's talking about. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all. All what? Judgment. What Jesus is talking about here is not people's. He's talking about judgment. See, the context of scripture. This he said signifying by what death he would die. Again, death referring to judgment. He was judged for our sins. The judgment of the Father came upon him. Now, how am I sure this is referring to judgment and not people's? Because there is a type in the Old Testament, all right, that tells us this is referring to sin and judgment, not people's. And we have to interpret the Bible by connecting the dots from the Old Testament to the New. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. 
And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loads this worthless bread. So they are complaining against God and against the leadership. So what happens? So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. So the Lord sent. It doesn't mean that God literally out of anger sent it. No. In the Hebrew, the permissive verb is often translated as the causative. Okay. So God permitted it to happen. It was not as if God sent it. God allowed, God permitted because of the sin, the fire serpents to come among the people, they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses took a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and saw it was if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Here we see the gospel. We see Jesus Christ in this story. Remember Jesus said, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they speak of me. So the gospel is hidden in the Old Testament. And this is one of the stories where we see the gospel hidden. Serpent is a type of sin. The serpent came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Tempted them with sin. So the serpent here is the enemy. Sin and Satan. We allow access to sin and Satan through our own disobedience, our own sin. So when these people sinned, what happens is that the serpent comes and bites them and the people are dying. That's the effect of sin in our lives. When we live in sin, we allow guilt, shame, condemnation. What is that? Death. Death in the heart. And if we are not redeemed, if we don't believe in Jesus, eventually one day we will experience eternal death. The solution was this. The people cried out. Moses asked the Lord. And God said, make a bronze serpent. What's the meaning of brass or bronze? Can someone tell me? Judgment. Brass represents fire. And brass in the Bible represents judgment. What is the serpent meaning? Can someone tell me? Huh? Curse, right? The first creature that was cursed was the serpent. So the bronze serpent here represents Jesus Christ. See, the Israelites had to look at the bronze serpent. But why serpent? Why wasn't it a beautiful creature? They had to look at the bronze serpent and when they looked at it, even though they were bitten by the snake, when they looked at it, the Bible says they lived. Amen. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on the pole, and everyone who looked at it, even if a serpent had bitten it, they lived. How is this a type of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, right? Where is this? Let me show it to you. Go to John. John chapter 3, verse 14. Are you ready? Let's read together. One, two, three. Let's read it together again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man 
be lifted up. The serpent is the type. The type means the shadow. Jesus is the anti-type. That means the real. The serpent was just a picture of Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus signified as a serpent in that story? It's because Jesus was also cursed on the cross. He took our curse on him. Why? Because our sins came on him. So on the cross, Jesus was not this picture of beauty. He was a picture of God's wrath coming upon him. He was cursed. But it's a bronze serpent, which means it's a picture of judgment. So the Israelites, because they sinned, they are being judged. And now they are dying. But if they will look to the bronze serpent, just by looking to it, there's a transference. There's an exchange. They will live. Because the bronze serpent is a type of Jesus Christ that takes their place. Amen. This type works in sin. This type also works in healing. In the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to John chapter 12. What is Jesus talking about here? The judgment of the world. Thou is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, do you see that? If I am lifted up, some manuscripts say crucified. What is that referring to? The bronze serpent. The son of man shall be lifted up. Talking about his death. Talking about how when he dies on the cross, all judgment is going to come on him. It's not people's. Hallelujah. What does it mean? It means this, Jesus is the lightning rod of God that has absorbed all judgment from God. How many of you, you see a lightning rod outside your building? When the lightning comes, if you have a lightning rod with earthing, your house electrical things are not damaged. You know why? Because the lightning rod absorbs the electricity. And transfers it to the ground. So that the people in the house are protected. See, every one of you should have been judged. All of us should have been judged. Right or wrong? Do we deserve judgment? Yes. And yes, God deservedly judged us. But on the person of Jesus Christ. So God's released his judgment. And all the judgment... Was sucked by Jesus. Because your sins were on him. Good Friday. The day of Passover. When he said. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And it was dark. What we do not see in the gospels. What Paul. What Peter, James and John did not see. When they saw Jesus on the cross. Paul explains it. In the epistles. Jesus sucked all judgment on him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that the wrath of God's judgment came on him. He sucked it all up so that it doesn't come on you. It's like the mother hen. When the farm was being burnt, the mother hen covered her chicks with her wings. And then the farm burnt and the mother hen also burnt. So when the people were going out checking the damage after the fire was put out, they, with a stick, removed 
the dead bird, that fried up bird. And to the shock, underneath the wings of that bird were chicks who were alive. And they come out, co -co -co -co. why? Because the mother hen took all the fire on herself. In the same way, Jesus took all our condemnation, our judgment on himself. Hallelujah. So that we are not judged today for our sins. There is now no condemnation. So the cross is a place of freedom from judgment. Can you say that? The cross is a place of freedom from judgment. Amen. Hallelujah. Believers can live without fear of expecting judgment from God. Today and also in the future. What, what, what about the judgment seat of God? There is a different teaching for that. Believers will be judged for the works that we did. But not for our sins. Because our sins are already forgiven. The nations of the world will be judged for their sins. There are two different judgments. One is for believers and one is the, the nations of the world. Amen? Believers are going to be judged. Well, let's just go there. I don't want to go so quickly to those teachings. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Sorry. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is a verse that's for believers. Paul is writing this to believers. And he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay? So, here is a place where the Bible says all believers will appear. It's the judgment seat. But the word judgment here is the Greek word bema. Write it down, B-E-M-A. Bema. And the word bema refers to a place where people are given rewards for good things they have done. And if they have not done it, well, they don't get the rewards. It's like a place where the Roman emperor will sit and give rewards during the Olympics. Okay. Caesar's crown, live, or medals, whatever they want. It's a bema seat. It's a place of rewards. A place of rewarding, recognizing people. It's not a place of punishment. So, believers will be judged, yes, but we'll be judged for the works that we have done. Not the person, the works we have done. See, whether the works that you have done were good or bad, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So it's the work that is judged, not you. Did you follow? Yeah. Because some Christians do works, but they are not from God. They are not led by the Holy Spirit. And then some do the calling of God to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. The Bible says, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that all of us will one day be judged. Our works will be judged. Whether our works were of wood, hay, and straw, or our works were of precious metals, that means they were really from God. They were divine, eternal purpose of God. Or we just did worldly things, carnal things. God will judge the works. And even though you will be saved, some of you will get no rewards. So the judgment seat of Christ for the believer is a place where our works are judged. But the person is not judged because... We are already in Christ. We are identified with Christ. So, believers should live without fear or expectation of evil from God. Knowing that only good things come from God. Don't ever think that sickness is judgment from God. Does sickness come to believers? Yes. 
It's the way we choose our lifestyle. Our lack of wisdom. Even disobedience and continuing in that path may cause sickness. But it is sin that has matured that brings death. The wages of sin is death. Amen. Look at James chapter 2. James 2 verse 12, 12 and 13. Let's read it together. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does this mean? What is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is not the law of Moses. The law of liberty is grace. The law of liberty is love. So James here is saying, we must speak and we must live as those who will be judged, not by the law of Moses, but by the law of grace. Mercy from God. And what does that law say? It says, if you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. If you're confused about that, just read the book. First Steps. That part about forgiveness of sins. So live, talk, conduct yourself as people who are forgiven. As people who will not be judged. How would you live your life knowing that every single sin has been forgiven? How would you live your life knowing that you are not going to face judgment ever? How would you live your life? If you know that there is no condemnation, whatever you may go through, do in life, there is no guilt, no shame, no condemnation because you are forgiven in Christ. How would you live your life? Come on. Will you say, oh, I'm forgiven. Let's go and drink, get drunk, rob a bank because we're already forgiven. Will you do that? No. See, some pastors are afraid to preach that you're forgiven because they say, hey, don't tell people they're forgiven. They'll go and sin some more. If you tell people they're forgiven, future sins also forgiven, they will go out and go crazy. Licentiousness. See, what it will genuinely produce in our life. Look at John chapter 7. I'm sorry, it's in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 onwards. It's about a sinful woman who is forgiven. Verse 36. Okay, I'm going to go quickly. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with the tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So this Pharisee also knew her, she had a reputation in a town. Probably she was an immoral woman. And of course, the Pharisee was thinking in his heart, this is an unholy, impure woman. Why is Jesus allowing her to touch him? Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Jesus, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Unlanded word forgave. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, 
Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the day I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Underline that. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. To her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So Jesus is saying, he who is forgiven much will love much. He who is forgiven little will love little. Okay. Simon invited him to his house. But was Simon honoring him and loving him to the degree that was Jesus' worth? Yes or no? No. Simon did not give him water to wash his feet. Even though Simon invited him, his heart was not 100% honoring Jesus. Yes or no? Yes. See, Simon was a Pharisee. He was under the law and he lived his life trying to perform, keep the law and thinking he will deserve only when he is performing. So he did not feel grace from Jesus towards him. Not that Jesus was not gracious towards him. His heart was not impacted yet. He was still judging himself by the law. So he thought, I'm a good man. I'm a Pharisee. I'm not impure like this woman. I'm better than her. I keep the laws of Moses. I wash my hands. I wear this kind of dress. So I don't need much forgiveness. I need little forgiveness. And that's why his heart was giving little honor to Jesus. Little worship. Little love. But this woman, a sinner, she knew that she was the worst in the city. She knew that she was the most condemned in the city. But Jesus loved her. Jesus accepted her. Jesus forgave her. It must have happened sometime in the past. So now this woman comes. She knows she's forgiven much. Her heart is filled with the grace of God. And she comes and she gives tremendous worship. Extravagant adoration. Overflowing honor and worship to Jesus. Because... She knows she is forgiven much. Question. When you know that you are forgiven of all your sins and judgment will not come upon you, will you go out and sin again? No. If you genuinely know how you are free because of the cross, the good news that proclaims you are free from your sins, you are forgiven. You will become like this woman. Who did not need any pastor to force her. Go and pray. Go and fast for 21 days. Why are you not going to church? That's how we motivate people today to come to church. If you genuinely know the gospel. No one will motivate you. Lift your hands and worship God. Come on Christians. Lift up your hands. So you lift up and you come down again. Right? But if you genuinely know grace. Ah, you can't wait to worship God. You can't wait to pray. Why? The grace of God compels you. The love of God attracts you. You become a genuine worshiper and it comes out of love, not out of fear. Not out of fear of judgment and punishment. If you don't love God, God will not love you. If you don't raise your hands, God will not bless you. If you don't come to church, God will not bless you. So we do those things out of the wrong motivations. But when you know how forgiven you are, you will love God for the right reasons. You will serve God for the right reasons. You will give for the right reasons. You will pray for the right reasons. Amen. 
Look at Psalm 130 verse 4. 1, 2, 3. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That you may be? Ah! Do we fear God because of anger? Or do we fear God because of His forgiveness? See, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That word fear doesn't mean an unholy terror where you, ah, and you run away from God. No. The word fear there means reverence. It means a loving reverence. It means that you don't want to do anything to displease Him. Not out of fear of punishment, but because of love, reverence, and honor. So, Forgiveness leads to genuine worship. Forgiveness leads to genuine fear of God. Forgiveness leads to genuine reverence. Many people in the church fear God, but they're fearing God because they think God will put cancer on them. God will put sickness on them. That's not genuine fear. That's a slavish fear. That's not coming to God as sons and daughters. You're coming to God as a slave. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Teaching people that they are forgiven of the sins will not make them less fearful of God. It will make them more genuine honor, worship, and reverence. The cross is a place where there is freedom from judgment. Hallelujah. The cross is the heart of the gospel. There is no gospel without the cross. Hallelujah. The cross is the place where the goodness of God is revealed. Point number three for the cross. And we'll close with this. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 to 9. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Verse 8. Underline this. But God demonstrates. But God demonstrates. But God demonstrates. Demonstrate. What's the meaning of demonstrate? It means to show. Show. The boy tells the girl, I love you and to prove my love for you, I will buy 150 roses on Valentine's Day. I will compose a song and I will sing under your balcony. He's demonstrating his love. In Nagaland, parents demonstrate the love for the children by killing a pig on the birthday. What's that? It's demonstration. Demonstration. God demonstrates. God also likes to show off. He's demonstrating how? His love towards us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from, saved from wrath. Again, judgment through him. After you're born again, you're also saved from future condemnation, even for your sins through Jesus Christ. So the cross is a demonstration of God's love. Write it down. The cross is a demonstration of God's love. How do I know God's love? Simple. The cross. It's an eternal picture. The Taj Mahal is a picture of love. Whose love? Shah Jahan's love for Mumtaz Mahal. Right? 
The cross is an eternal picture of God's love for mankind. If ever you doubt God loves you, look to the cross. The cross is God's loudspeaker. Every day proclaiming, I love you, I love you. See, we never have to doubt anymore the fact that God loves us. Because it has been proven for eternity. Once and for all, through the death of Jesus on the cross. Just because you have sickness doesn't mean God does not love you. Just because your father and mother divorced doesn't mean God does not love you. Just because death has come into the family does not mean God does not love you. Just because you lost all your money does not mean God does not love you. Job lost all his money. Job lost his family. Job lost his health. But God still loved him. But all his friends came and told him, it's because of your sins, it's because of your pride, it's because of this and that. And God said, all of them are speaking nonsense. Amen. The cross is a demonstration of God's love for you. It's a painting in eternity. It can never be erased. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.